at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. of Trying Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. And uh, I'd be remiss not to mention that today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Uh, you can listen to your audiobooks whenever and wherever you want with Audible.com, and through our arrangement with them, you can get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audio, uh, sorry, audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. So if you haven't done that already, please go ahead and do so. So uh, how's it going, Dan? Uh, not too bad. Uh, it's been... At least from the non non Syracuse football part of of life, if there is such a thing. Um, obviously, it's a little different when you're a Syracuse fan because this week has been all about uh, questioning the coaching staff and calling for quarterback changes and um, all that kind of fun stuff, uh, which may or may not be legitimate. Um, probably not, but it is what happens when you have a loss like Syracuse on Saturday. Ugh. I mean. On the bright side, a lot of these things are fixable. On the not-so-bright side, all of them actually happened. So I, I can see how, like, I mean, the fan base did its typical post-loss, you know, any no. sport. But, yeah, <laughs> meltdown and turning on one another to the point of, like, people saying not nice things to me, not nice things to everybody else in the boards just because they didn't agree with them. I'm like, you know what, guys? Like, and you saw it, too. Like, by the end, like, everyone just kind of walked away for the weekend after that game, and, and rightfully so. You know, like, I was kind of happy about that. I think everyone kind of needs to – after losses, especially in our fan base, and I think there's other fan bases that fall under this category, too, but everyone does really need to, like, go to their separate corners after losses uh, among Orange fandom and – take a breather, and I think we all came back, you know, like mid-Monday, early today, in at least, like, better mood with each other. Yeah, like you said, I, I think the the way that Syracuse went out and lost is incredibly frustrating just because, you know, clearly 
the team clearly beat itself, uh, just really awful mistakes. Um, and when you look back at it, it was really like that one span of plays towards the end of the first half that really sealed the deal. Um, aside from that, but I, I guess I'd, if I'm taking a step back, though, I'd probably rather have a loss like that than than go out there and just look completely outclassed by a team like Maryland. Like, while it probably hurt, it'd probably be less painful for for Syracuse to go out there and just say, you know, oh, Maryland's a better team. Uh, when I'm looking at this as on the in the long run, I'd rather just. I think it's it's maybe more positive to say, hey, Maryland's not a better team. Syracuse just played awful because that means that on a different week, Syracuse can go out there and play well and not lose a game like that, where if we were just a bad team, and maybe we are, but we don't. I don't think we have enough evidence yet. Um, if we were just out as a bad team and that's exactly what Syracuse is, then we have deeper-seated issues. This was just a bad performance, I think, and I hope. Right, and, and I mean, you know, you bring up a good point there. I think, I think when looking back at this, no matter what happens this season, um, it will be a critical game. It will be either be a critical game of okay, this team understands um, that you know everything won't always shake out in its favor, um, and and this is kind of a lesson of, of what happens when things go wrong, and now they can grow on it, or it's it's kind of a a harbinger of what happens next of, you know what, like this offense has its flaws, this defense has its flaws, and this is what happens against an average team. Now just wait till what happens against a better team. Um, I, I, I do want to stay positive. I know I'm not the most positive around the site all the time, and, and there's definitely people more positive than myself. around. There's also people more negative than myself around there too, though. Um, and for now, I think I'm willing to to look at it as, um, you know, it's a bummer we lost, but if we allow this to inform better decisions going forward and, and better play going forward, um, I, I, I can deal with it. We've seen this before um, against schedules just as tough and, and come out of it. Yeah, Sean wrote about this, and it, it, Syracuse has been a program that, is really bizarre. Like over the last couple of years, we'll lose games like like this, and then go out and win games like the West Virginia blowout or the the Louisville blowout. So it, it's um, it doesn't doom us for the rest of the season. I don't think it's just frustrating because of the nature of the game. But uh, there were things to build on. I think. I think the fact that the offense was so prolific, at least yardage wise, is, is a good thing. I I don't know how people are spinning the 589 yards into a negative. The negative is that that didn't translate into points, but I very much doubt that Maryland is the worst defense we're going to play all year. Uh, I don't know if they're a very good defense, but in any case, Syracuse put up nearly 600 yards and it's a big 10 opponent. So if, if that's what Syracuse is going to be doing most of the year, or at least something like that, I think that the chances are this team is going to win more games than not and not put up 20 points a game. So I'm trying to look to the positive. I, I'm not going to deny that it was a really awful game, um, and it was. I was just incredibly bummed out watching it. But after a couple of days to sit on it, you know, moving towards Notre Dame and the rest of the season, I'm, I'm trying to at, le- uh, at least personally take take away the, the good things that I can, although they are kind of few and far between. Yeah, it's amazing to me how many people have really kind of glossed over 
that yardage aspect. I know I've talked to some Notre Dame uh, writers who actually, you know, very much saw that production and aren't glossing over it at all. But I think a lot of our own fans, and I think you saw some some other fans in the ACC, um, kind of ignored that part of it. And to me, you know, I'll take that performance every single time if – if we're not a lining up against receivers, we obviously couldn't hang with. Sorry, Syracuse secondary, but you you can't line up against anyone or match up against anyone. Um, and as long as we never repeat um, the eighth drive of that game ever again, um, I think I'm all right. And for those who were who do not know what I'm talking about just yet, uh, click through the uh, the offensive play call breakdown this week, and and you'll you'll probably remember it as the final drive of the first half where Syracuse did everything right and everything wrong then almost fell into a touchdown anyway um, and then ended up coming away with no points just the same. <laughs> it's the one where, where Syracuse drove like 70 yards down the field and got to like the four-yard line and then somehow found its way all the way back to like the 25-yard line and didn't score. It, that that was that was the the drive that that summed up how the game worked so clearly, because it couldn't have looked better up until the precipice of scoring, and then just totally fell apart. Bad penalties, bad you know, a couple rough play calls, no execution whatsoever. Ugh, just I don't know. I can't bring myself to watch that again. Um, and luckily, I'm not the one who writes the play calling column here, so. That you are. Um, I think that brings us to a good point, though, to, to kind of segue into future focus. Um, and we'll start with the negative before I think we start like, talking Notre Dame specifically. Um, the one thing that I think no matter who we're facing can't happen is uh, is these red zone issues. Uh, and I think this is something that, you know, we don't really have the time and the luxury to, to wait to correct. Um, I was hoping that, that it would have worked itself out against against three of our lesser opponents. Uh, here in the earlier part of the year, because now, um, you know, we've got Notre Dame, we've got Louisville, we've got Florida State, back-to-back-to-back, um, to back to back, um, in a pretty brutal stretch. So obviously, Maryland was the was the most winnable of those, uh, of that kind of four-game uh, thing here. So now, I mean, we need, to, we need to pull at least one upset, if not two, um, in this three-game stretch to really, to really get this season in a place where I think we'd be, be once again comfortable saying, yeah, you know, I can see us in, 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 a, in a bowl game, winning six games. Um, but these red zone struggles, I know we talked about it on Twitter, we talked about it on the site. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know, I mean, I know what it is. I know but the problem is it, it's multiple things. Um, this team just kind of stalls out for, for three straight games, um, whether it's, Beyond the 30, well, beyond the opposing 30, beyond the opposing 20, even within the opposing opposition's 10-yard line, it doesn't seem to matter. As long as they're in, you know, reasonable scoring distance, it seems like this offense loses its teeth, loses its ability to really move forward, and, and no one outside of Terrell Hunt can really punch this thing into the end zone right now. Yeah, and it's weird because where the issues seem to be, which is right around like the 30 or the 20, it doesn't make any sense that the team wouldn't be able to move the ball there because running an offense that far from the end zone doesn't seem to me to be a lot different than running it at midfield where we were gaining seven, eight, nine yards of carry. And then once we get to the goal line, 
Syracuse doesn't seem to have much of an issue. Um, I mean, we didn't have many opportunities like that in Maryland, but against ECU, uh, I mean, Hunt scored two touchdowns against Maryland and against ECU. That that zone read just was completely unstoppable with Amin Moore and Hunt. So I don't know why just that one small area of the field between like right up against the goal line and midfield became such an issue because there's nothing – I don't know, it doesn't seem like that should be a problem area for any other reason. Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, our ACC network announcer has made sure every other play that – to remind you, we, we have a zone read uh, style of offense. And uh, and, and trash on that, that bizarro world lineman, Ian Floyd, who – one day we'll get him back for all those holding calls that, uh, that set us back. If only Ivan was out there. <laughs> if only Ivan was out there. Ian. And so, yeah, <laughs> Ian, Ian actually had twice him. as many holding calls as, as Ivan did. <laughs> uh, that was the worst one, that hold. When Hunt, I, I just tweeted about it, too. Like Right before the flag pops up, I'm like, that's exactly what we needed. Oh. <laughs> Oh, no. This is the of everyone, and that was a really touchy call too. Like he, he, it was, it was a hold, I guess. But I mean, that kind of hold happens all the time. If you call every one of those, we'd never be able to watch the sport. Well, well, they did, they did bring up a good point um, during the game, though, and that was, you know, it becomes much tougher to uh, to get those kind of to get those things going. And well, I guess it was much tougher to, to get away with those calls consistently when you have a mobile quarterback. And if you don't really know where he's at, you don't really know when to release. So so I kind of get it um, in some ways. Yeah, it happens, but it's just really backbreaking considering the, the when it happened and, and the whole context of the play. Um, but hopefully, I mean, I thought as a whole, aside from the penalties, I thought the offensive line actually played really well and has been – since the Villanova game playing well overall, um, I think Hunt took his first sack, uh, first sack in this game. Um, so overall, I think the, the pass protection has been great and, and probably even better than the run blocking. And the run blocking has obviously been pretty good when Syracuse put 370 yards up. True. I, yeah, I, I'm really excited about what I'm seeing from this run game. Um, and it seems like it doesn't matter who touches the ball, which is weird because I feel like, you know, it's not as if anybody – it's – I mean, more or Gully, one or the other, uh, will have a great game on the ground. It seems like Hunt will always have a great game on the ground. Um, and then, you know, you have a guy like Irv Phillips who who broke things open against CMU. But then, you know, this past week, it didn't really seem like we had anybody um, – any, anybody that was surprising other than, I guess, Hunt running for, you know, a career high in yardage with 143. Um, so it's it's kind of, in some ways it's exciting to see Ami Moore really get rolling and to see Gully, um, you know, not just, I mean, he's definitely still our home run guy, but at the same time, like there were, I don't know if you noticed too, those two runs that, those two runs that ended up being in like, I think the 25 to 40 yard range that, could have potentially just gone to the house because he took the cut inside instead of out. Yeah, I mean that that'll happen all the time. It's it's more annoying when drives stalled out. But overall, it's just the 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 running game was just brilliant. I 
I mean, we had uh, Dolly Broke 39, Hunt 20, Amin Moore 19. Like, every, as you said, Morris didn't play a bit factor, and McFarland didn't either, um, and he apparently is hurt. But it didn't really matter between the, the three main rushers that we have going on. Um, all of them had the potential to take it every time they touched the ball. And, and again, I know Maryland had injury issues in the linebacking core, and I don't know how strong they are in the overall, but I mean, this should be a, a trend. I, I don't think there, there are at least a couple defenses in the ACC that'll probably be similar to Maryland in terms of skill level. So hopefully if, if the red zone thing gets figured out, I mean, this can be a pretty exciting thing uh, going forward. I don't know about Notre Dame. Notre Dame will probably be a, a good amount tougher, but um, I think the coaching staff has said that they play similar styles to Maryland both on both sides of the ball. So hopefully the transition there isn't, isn't too tough. Yeah, I mean, what do you make of Morris and McFarland kind of fading into the background? And I guess been a question, a kind of follow-up question after that that I brought up in the play-calling breakdown. Um, what do you make of these kind of offset, single-back sets that we're seeing um, that kind of telegraph who's getting the ball? And, and do you think that's going to be something sustainable or something that Notre Dame and better teams like them are going to sniff right out? Um. I don't know. I, I don't expect us to do too many two-back sets. I think in, in the Villanova game we might have seen two different running backs a couple times, but I don't remember if we've done that much since then. Um, I don't expect to see a fullback too often aside from the goal line. So I, I would expect most of what we run to be with one running back or, or maybe uh, an extra tight end or something. But um, I don't know. I think as long as, as we keep on mixing up the play calls a bit, uh, it shouldn't be too much of an issue. I, don't, I, I think you brought it up in the, in the article my biggest concern with regard to um, the play calling is not the, the sets that we're running or even the plays for the most part. I don't know why we completely gave up on play action this week after that's like pretty much all we ran it in CMU. I think that would have a bigger impact than, than a tell in the, in the actual set. Yeah, I mean, the, the lack of play action was maddening. Um, you know, again, to see us do it so well and, and almost half the passes that, that hunt through um, were play action. And then, you know, you go to them this week, and there were so few play action. And you, you saw his timing was just so much better. I mean, it wasn't just the play action. He did that. The, the shoulder fake, I mean, we knew it wouldn't be something he could do with success, with like great, great success every single week. But to see him pretty much ditch the shoulder fake um, and, and ditch play action against Maryland after it worked so well against Central Michigan um, was really disappointing. I mean, he did – the one thing we saw that I didn't really capture in the uh, in the article, so I, I kind of want to address here, uh, that, that, that run fake um, that, that he did a bunch to kind of and, – and really sold it on a few runs where he, you know, either – Either Prince Tyson Gully or Ami Moore got completely blasted in the middle, and, and Hunt was able to, you know, on a fake, and, and Hunt was able to, to really just kind of go end around, um, you know, and grab 15 w- without much issue. Yeah, the other thing yeah. was that Hunt was throwing such a good ball against Central Michigan, and clearly he something was going on against Maryland where he just wasn't he wasn't on like he threw so many passes behind receivers he also had drops which isn't his fault but um, he just clearly wasn't as sharp against Maryland so you'd think that 
the play action fates would have opened things up more and giving him more room to work with. Um, whereas in Central Michigan, I mean, he had them, but he was also pinpointing the ball in tight windows where he just wasn't able to do that against Maryland. Uh, and you saw it multiple times, especially passes over the middle to, I think, a two or three times to, uh, to Brizzly, where he might have had him if he had let him, but he threw it behind him. So I don't know. I just feel like if your quarterback is having trouble with accuracy and, and putting the ball right in the right where it needs to be, you know, you might be able to help get some extra separation with that play action fake. But I don't know. I, I can't explain why we didn't see it in Maryland. Yeah, I do think the timing stuff is is always partially related to that. I, I just feel like when he had the play action, he was able to, you know, better set his feet, better see the field. Uh, and those high passes killed. I mean, there were a couple of them where if he just connected on some wide-open receivers, there's, those were 20-yard gains. And then you saw what happened when he did actually hit guys in stride. I mean, Ben Lewis had a couple of really nice catches, and I, I love what he what Lewis has been able to bring to the table so far. And then that, that gorgeous, gorgeous ball to West, who was wide open down the field. I mean, those are the types of things that every almost nearly every time last year until about the last two games, you would see him take one shot like that a game, and most of the time he would miss. Um, you know, to the sideline. I think now you're seeing much more precision and he's really hitting guys in stride. But uh, I, I, I want to see more play action. I want to see, you know, s- some more some more effective fakes or whatever it has to be because I think you saw against Maryland it works and then you saw – I mean, you saw against Central Michigan, sorry, but, but that it worked. And then you saw against Maryland um, it could have worked. Um, I mean, it's not as if they were suddenly locking us down on the deep ball – because of one big completion of West. Yeah, it, it's hopefully something we see going forward. Just, it just, especially with the amount that, that Syracuse runs the ball, if you're going to run the ball 50 times, you have to use that to your advantage when it comes to the passing game. So I can't imagine that McDonald completely abandons it two weeks in a row. Um, and, you know, hopefully that against Notre Dame – while they're very good, um, they still have had some struggles, and some other some weaker teams have had the ability to move the ball against them a little bit. So, I mean, even against Purdue, they they really were in for a fight for a while there. Um, we won't count Michigan because Michigan's a train wreck. So, we'll see. I, I'm I'm not overly uh, optimistic that Syracuse beats Notre Dame, but I am thinking that it'll be a another one of those well played, hard fought, but ultimately lost MetLife games that we uh, have made a tradition now. But I hope to be wrong about the uh, the loss part, at least. Yeah, I would definitely love to be wrong about that loss part. I know I uh, I answered some questions for uh, NBC Sports um, about uh, this game, and those will, those will go up tomorrow morning. So this morning, when everyone hears this podcast, for the most part, um, and one of the questions was, about whether I think that this can be a close game. You know what, like, I, I definitely wanted to make sure to not sound like I thought that this was a game that Syracuse should win or or there was a larger than 50% shot they would win or could win or anyway. But I, I do think that where this kind of could play to our advantage is, you know, Golson's mobile, yes, but he's not mobile to the same point as, as a John Robertson or, or as a C.J. Brown. Um, you know, he's someone who can run, but, you know, Golson's decision-making, throwing the ball has really been um, his M.O. 
And I think if, if we get caught in a game that's very much, you know, banging out in the trenches and if Notre Dame's going to run a little more, um, you know, score plotting style, I mean, we haven't really seen a team do, try to do that yet against us is play a, a much slower style of football. And I actually think that, that our run-centric but fast pace could actually be a real advantage if we end up being in a, in a, in a trench battle. Yeah, like you said, I mean, Golson doesn't provide the same running threat that, that Brown did. And even though Brown had been pretty prolific on the ground this season, I thought Syracuse did a really nice job against him, um, containing him. He only had 25 yards on 14 rushes. Um, Golson on the year has uh, 83 yards on 29 rushes, so not a great average. He does have four touchdowns. So I, I'm guessing they use him more near the near the goal line, kind of like we do with Hunt on those zone reads. Um, but Notre Dame's rush, rush offense is uh, it's pretty varied. Um, they're only averaging as a team 4.3 yards a carry, so it's not tremendous. But they've, you know, they have a couple, three different guys that are at or just around 100 yards. Uh, so they split it up pretty evenly. Um, with how the team has has defended the rush this year, I, I'm fairly confident that uh, that Syracuse will continue doing a good job, unless John Roberts don't know where. Um, I, I don't know much of what to make of, of Notre Dame's passing game. It's also very spread out. Um, but Golson has been the consistent one. He's, he's been fantastic throwing the ball. Um, seven touchdowns, completing 55% of his passes. So I, I think um, I don't think we'll see much of Golson taking off a whole lot. Um, but we you know want to make sure he doesn't break a big run. And uh, I'm interested to see uh, uh, how the how the secondary reacts. I'd actually thought. Aside from a couple miscues, uh, the stream pass, most you know, the 90-yard the stream pass was the most obvious uh, example. But uh, I actually thought that, that the, the corners did a pretty good job against the really good Maryland wide receivers. But Notre Dame probably has even more depth in that area, if not as much top-end talent like Stefan Diggs. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a, a nice point with Golson there, and I think that's since he didn't play last year, everyone seemingly forgot what Golson brought to the table. And, you know, I even saw a few articles today talking about, you know, how Golson's mobility was going to be another test for Syracuse and, and, and their continual um, kind of issue with, with dual-threat quarterbacks. But to me, um, I think the real danger was two years ago, and I think is now, is, is that Golson's an underrated passer, and it seems the defenses just don't game plan for that um, and what I want to see from us, I guess, and, and this is something that, you know, you and I talked about uh, on game day last week, was, you know, can the defense, can the defense replicate what it did in the second half versus the kind of feeling out the situation struggles that they had in the first half? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um... This, it certainly seems like we've been ironing things out at halftime far better than than, than we did last year. Um, at all, I mean, I think Maryland had a uh, part to, uh, to do with that because Syracuse certainly didn't seem like it had uh, much of a sense of urgency when it came to uh, the second half and trying to come back to the game. Um, Maryland, I think, was more than happy to just kind of run the offense at you know a fairly standard pace, and, and they did throw the ball a decent amount in the second half, but they they weren't really firing on all cylinders, I don't think, um, either. So hopefully part of that was Syracuse making good adjustments. But um, 
I think Kelly's a much better coach than Edsel. So the, the coaching matchup is definitely a, a storyline here since we, we still have questions about what Schaefer's staff is in terms of uh, coaching acumen. Um, we like to think that they're improving, but there are always questions, especially with McDonald. Yeah, I think that's where all the, all the like, you know, I mean, it's not just Syracuse.com uh, comments that are questioning. I mean, I saw some stuff on SyracuseFan.com. I know our own guys um, were doing some questioning, and, and it's not far-fetched anymore. Um, I mean, we saw adjustments, uh, but at the same time, like you and I and some other people all said, you look at the ur- you look at the lack of urgency. Um, hold on, the siren going by. Sorry about that. Didn't want to be too loud. Um, yeah, you look at the lack of urgency, and and, and it's, I'm not going to blame the, the guys on the team. It, it's not that at all. And and I know quitting has kind of become like this taboo term uh, when talking about that second half. So I won't use it. But at the same time. You you look at the the change in pace. You look at the the lack of plays on offense compared to the first half. Um, It was was much slower. We were averaging about three plays per minute. Um, We had the ball in the first half and and only two in the second. Um, Things just seemed like they were, you know, when when the run game got got very effective, continued to be effective, suddenly we'd revert to screen passes when the passing game was working, we'd revert to, you know, screens and dives. It just seemed like, like, because Hunt was able to make plays with his feet all day, I kind of have to give the play calling an incomplete because, honestly, like, things could have been either much better or much worse, and I'm, I'm tempted to say the latter because it did seem like, in many cases, they had the passing game locked up and Hunt was smart enough because he's improved as a decision maker, to just tuck the ball and run it because they honestly couldn't stop him for much of the game. Yeah, it, it's hard to say because Hunt does bring that that factor into the game. Although I don't I don't know if that should be a negative. It's just part of what having Terrell Hunt at quarterback is. Um, but also because Hunt Hunt clearly didn't have it with the arm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe some of those plays. I mean, I think. The offense even looks better if Hunt doesn't misfire on on what seven or eight different throws in a big way, and then obviously the pitch sits was a whole different deal. But um, it, it was hard to judge because of both of those things. And and Hunt will always make things look better when he breaks a, a play for 15 yards down the field when maybe he wouldn't have gained anything with him with a with a stationary quarterback. But then there's the other factor of you know who the real Terrell Hunt is if it's the guy who played it in. CMU and was throwing darts over the middle and was perfect throwing the ball across the middle of the field, or if it was a guy who was behind his receivers all day against Maryland, um, it looked like a lot of people around the internet were very quick to say he's the latter, but that doesn't explain why he was so good at throwing the ball against uh, Central Michigan. So I, I still think he's a, he's a question mark in terms of you know what his high end is, uh, his his high end potential is. Completely agree. Something we can get into in the second half of our podcast here, because uh, this is now halftime. And uh, with that, I'll be sure to uh, talk about our sponsor once again, uh, Audible.com. We're uh, happy to be sponsored by them over here at Trainings and Absolute Podcast. 
Um, Audible.com, as we mentioned, is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. Uh, they have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them wherever and whenever uh, you want, even on whatever device, uh, whether it's a laptop or an iPhone or an Android device or an iPod or whatever it may be. Uh, you can get your audiobooks um, on those devices. If you sign up at our URL, audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician, you can get yourself a free audiobook and a one-month trial of service. Um, but I'd throw out a few suggestions. Um, since Notre Dame football is something people have written about and like to write about, um, Jack Cavanaugh's The Gipper, um, all about George Gipp, Newt Rockney, and the dramatic rise of Notre Dame football. Um, if you like feeding into the Notre Dame PR machine, that is the book for you. Um, additionally, uh, Jerry Faust's tale from the Notre Dame sideline, um, written in part by Jerry Faust. Um, you might have remembered Jerry Faust is a bit more uh, on the controversial side uh, in terms of Notre Dame coaches. Uh, he came in after Arapharsijan and, you know, it was kind of the uh, the bridge between Parsijan and Lou Holtz um, in the Notre Dame era. So definitely a, uh, a controversial figure, an interesting figure. Um, he kind of shares his, uh, his times on the Irish sideline. But, yeah, those are two books to check out. If you're of the now on to, if you are, and uh, if, we, if we consult recent news um, sites and social media chatter, um, you'll find that Scott Schaefer was himself a little bit of a uh, Irish sympathizer growing up, much like uh, our own fearless leader Sean Kelly was as well. I I can also add myself to that list, unfortunately, but. I was very quick to give it up. My dad was a big Notre Dame fan, and as a result, so was my brother. I was uh, I was not um, in any way. I actually, and that is how I, I pick up my own disloyalty at label football, um, is I would vehemently root for our hated rival, the DC Eagles, against Notre Dame because I wanted Notre Dame to lose so badly. I mean, I think I'd probably do that today, too, so I don't know how bad that actually is. <laughs> That's also fair. And, and I mean, if, if we don't root for BC, who's going to? I've seen those stands. Well, we know a few diehards, but, yes, in the large <laughs> scheme of things. They were giving out uh, – they pulled a Michigan today, I saw, and they were uh, – they had a – if you buy a BC hat at a local Lids, you got tickets to see BC basketball versus Virginia, so – maybe there'll be more than 1,500 people at those games. You never know. But yeah, on to uh, the second reason people listen to this podcast, or at least maybe first for some, uh, beer. We do our, Dan and I do our usual talking about beers that some of you can, some of you can't find near you, and once a month someone chimes in that they don't care about craft beer. We haven't had that in a while, though, so that's that's enheartening. Hopefully, we're we're getting two, two people. 
We're converting people. Yeah, this is good. You're next, Ryan Norton. <laughs> or Riley Dixon, if you're John. And you're or Riley John. Dixon, if you're John. And doesn't know the difference right between special teams players. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't know the difference between special teamers and rights articles at midnight or sometimes just midday after a depressing loss. You know, <laughs> these things happen. But anyway, Dan, what have you been drinking? Um... My the bar down the street from me that I find myself at a couple times or at least once a week with my friends. Um, just got in uh, pumpkin head ale from Shipyard, which is you know probably not my favorite pumpkin beer because pumpkin still exists. But in terms of drinkability and like just if you don't want the really fully flavored pumpkin, uh, pumpkin head it still you know has that same pumpkin flavor, but it's a lot lighter. It's it's almost kind of like a, a regular pale ale where it's, it, you know, really nice flavor, but also very drinkable, and you could definitely put back, like, a couple of those without feeling awful about yourself. Um, so I have, <laughs> and uh, I'm always happy to, to go do that because it is a really good beer. Um, that's from Shipyard Brewing, uh, and you can find that in a lot of places throughout the Northeast. I'm not sure how far off they go, but it, it's pretty easy to find around here. And then it's I actually easy to find to, around here as well. Really? Yeah, surprisingly. They actually, that's like the one, the shipyard out here occasionally, but it's the one shipyard beer that you can always find, like from late August until like late September around here. Very nice, yeah. So I recommend that um, if you're on either coast, apparently. I don't know how much in between, but that's good to know. Um, and then I also had a chance to have some Syracuse Pale Ale from Middle Ages, which is always great. Uh, I was at Dino uh, in Stanford here, and I, for whatever reason, decided not to have the normal ape hanger, so I had a regular SPA, and uh, SPA is great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some more, more Central New York beers coming up soon um, over the next couple of weeks. But uh, definitely glad to be back in fall and, and having the full array of fall beers available now. Yeah, same. I know, uh, I'll definitely touch on some fall beers, but... Uh... It is L.A. Beer Week, so pretty much whatever holiday you celebrate around late December, amplify that by a bunch, and you'll you'll get my general feeling while wandering around Los Angeles since, uh, since Saturday. Um, unfortunately, most of the L.A. Beer Week events are closer to downtown. I'm in the beach city, so not as easy to get to. Uh, luckily, though, uh, my wife does care about me, and thought that going to a couple events downtown this week uh, wouldn't have been the worst thing. So Sunday we enjoyed some of those, which I'll talk about in a sec. Um, some recent beers I've been drinking. Uh, I had finally popped open my bottle of uh, Urban Barrel Aged Smoking Wood um, from the brewery. Really, really good beer. Um, it's just... I'm not a, always a huge uh, smoked beer fan, nor am I always a big bourbon barrel age guy, but, um, you know, smoking this smoking wood in particular, and there's a couple of varietals, um, just seem to really hit the nail on the head um, in terms of what I'm looking for out of, like, a, a heftier beer. I mean, it's 14%, so on the heavy side, but I've definitely had, you know, much heavier that, that just kind of bogs it down in this, this wasn't at all the case. I definitely liked it a lot. The wife did as well. 
Um, I've mentioned this probably once or twice, but uh, Ska Brewing's uh, Modus Operandi, uh, they're a great IPA. Now that they're uh, now that they're down here in Southern California, it's definitely it's not a go-to by any means, but I mean, if I see a six-pack hanging around, I'm happy to, to pick it up. And I, I did so the other night, along with a four-pack of Dogfish Head Pumpkin Ale, which uh, Dan was mentioning, uh, some of his favorite pumpkin selections. And while I'm not Use pumpkin diehard. Um, Dogfish Head's pumpkin, as well as uh, Dan's personal favorite, uh, some Southern Tier, uh, you know, pumpkin. Why did I just forget the name of the beer, Dan? Pumpkin. There it is. Jesus Christ. I haven't even been drinking today, and and I am forgetting things. So, yes. Marilyn just broke you. Obviously. <laughs> you can only watch that game watch. once. <laughs> yeah. Just start spiraling. Not, uh, recommended. Just yelling turtle with people hands and then just screaming at the at the ceiling. <laughs> oh, what an awful uh, game. Terrible, awful, awful game. <laughs> and Sunday, yeah, I did some uh I did some beer week stuff. So uh, Beer Belly down in Koreatown um, had a uh, Modern Times uh, tasting event with some rare beers and things like that. Um, I've talked about Modern Times on here a bunch. Uh, they don't really get any distro outside of California, but um, that's probably going to change soon. They've only been around a couple of years, and yet they are blowing up. Uh, they just got a new canning um, set up. So their old system used to only allow them to can I think forty, I think forty beers per like minute or something like that, or maybe it was more than that. Um, and now their new ones got them up to like I think eighty or one hundred and twenty. So they're upping distribution. Um, anyone who makes a trip out here definitely find yourself some modern times. Um, I grabbed one of my favorite beers from them um, now, at least. Uh, their Imperial Stout, uh, Monsters Park. Uh, it's a very good and actually uh, bottling a bunch of varietals of it uh, come November with different um, different liquors. So I think they have a uh, they have a bourbon barrel. They have I think a whiskey barrel aged. Uh, the coffee one that I had, I had a coffee version on on cask um, at the bar that was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I think they had one other one. It was a rye whiskey, and then they had, like, a Tennessee whiskey. Uh, I could double-check that. But I um, also had some others from them. Uh, Universal Friend, which was a uh, a Saison aged in uh, some Pinot Grigio ba- barrels, which I had not – I don't think I've ever had a uh, Pinot Grigio aged brew before. And it was actually – I mean, it was light, but it was, it was a good beer. Um, I also swung over to Angel City. They were having kind of an Oktoberfest event. Um, so I hadn't been there either. Uh, I drink their beers a bunch because they're on tap in most places in L.A. But, uh, yeah, huge, like, warehouse space that they have uh, downtown, like, pretty close to Skid Row. So just be warned there. Um, but their Oktoberfest uh, was both available on tap and on cask, and on cask is actually very, very good. So, yeah, that was my long-winded rundown of, of beers from this week. Very nice. I definitely haven't heard of Pinot Grigio uh, barreled beer. I've probably maybe some other wines, but not that. 
Yeah, I've had um, I've had a few like wine aids. Like I had um, I'm sure you guys probably get uh, Stones uh, Cali Belgique, right? They're uh, Belgian IPA. Yeah, I've definitely seen it. I don't know that I've had it. Oh, well, it's, it's highly recommended. I definitely like the beer a lot. Um, it's got a nice hop finish for for a Belgian IPA. Um, I've had I've had it on red wine and white wine barrels. Both very different experiences, but both very good. I think both are actually probably better than the uh, than the standard. I might have to go check that out. I definitely, I've definitely seen it around here, so I'll look into it. Yeah, it's pretty affordable too. I mean, around here at least, it's like four dollars for a bomber. It's like good beer. So yeah, I do need to sure, make a yeah. run before. Uh, I do need to make a run to the liquor store before getting ready for uh, the Notre Dame game this weekend, so I'll have to find some things to get me through that, that night. Yeah, I am. Uh, my in-laws are having a bunch of us down there. So, I mean, out of everybody around here, my wife and I are the only ones who went to SU, but um, my in-laws are happy to uh, entertain my obsession as long as they're not facing San Diego State where my wife's entire side of the family went. Um, so, yeah, they're hosting us. We're having just people over down there. And should be a good time with a bunch of the beers I've left over from last weekend. And then a couple of my friends are bringing over some beers. So should be a nice weekend. But I wouldn't say I'm really going to be tapping into anything uh, anything new. It's probably going to be a lot of repetition from this weekend. You'll also probably be getting a bunch. I mean, once we, I know we talk about stone on a regular basis around here, but you'll probably be getting more um, in the next year or so once they open up the uh, Virginia facility. Oh, I forgot they were doing that. That's good news. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as I know, stones, you know, pretty much available. But I'd say once, uh, yeah, once that happens, it's even like the rarer stuff probably finds its way um, around the East Coast much quicker and. Uh, I think that's probably the one big issue for for Stones East Coast and a lot of the you know San Diego brewery distributions is that um, it's, it's probably just the age of things when they get out there. You're like even like the the better like Enjoy by usually won't get out there for for a good you know week week and a half or more um, from the bottle date. So you're already kind of operating at a bit of a loss. Cause I know that beer's got a very quick timer on it. I usually try to pick it up you know, day of or, or within a day or two. I'll try to, if I'm up in Pasadena, I usually get up to uh, the company store up there and I usually have it on tap like day after it's available. Very nice. Yep. So East Coasters, look forward to that soon. Anyway, back to football. Um there's obviously a lot of things to be concerned about against Notre Dame. And it's weird. I don't feel like people are getting that concerned. And I'm not sure if it's because of how depressing the Maryland game was and they just don't think we have a shot. Or is it really because Notre Dame might play a style that benefits us in some ways? I mean, as I mentioned before, looking at the offense, um, I think Notre Dame is, is kind of similar to Maryland, um, probably more talent across the board, but 
they probably they do a little, uh, more running, like traditional running, than than Maryland does. Um, but they don't really blow up, you know, all over the place. The like I said earlier, three guys are around 100 yards, but none really dominate the ball. Um, four guys, including Golson, are all between 22 and 30 carries. So they have multiple capable rushers, but no one's been great. Um, I think uh, Golson is just that's he's the main issue, as you'd expect. He's really good. Uh, must be nice, you know, when you get to school for a year, you can just do a quarterback uh, summer camp and you know get better at at the sport and then come back and play like with no issues. But that's what he did, and it certainly shows. Um, you know, he's throwing the ball really well. Uh, but um, the one thing that interests me about Notre Dame is. A lot of news came out today about how they're shuffling their offensive line. Um, I didn't see much of the Purdue game, so I don't know if that was a major issue. And and they obviously they wanted to address it during the the bye week they had. But um, it could get interesting if their offensive line is a struggle and if they have guys playing in new places because Syracuse is so aggressive. Um, maybe Cam Lynch and really get a get into the backfield a bit and interrupt Olson. Um, I think we're definitely going to blitz no matter what. I think that's just the bread and butter for, for Syracuse's defense. Uh, and we kind of saw what happened in its Maryland early on when Syracuse was playing, uh, dropping back in the zone more and playing a little more conservatively. Brown was able to, to pitch Syracuse's secondary apart. So things definitely got better when, when they sent the blitz on Brown, even if people were afraid of him getting to the outside and scrambling. That didn't really happen. So I think we'll see the, the same amount of pressure against the Irish that we are accustomed to at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was concerned about Brown, but I knew we were able to kind of hold him in check last year. Um, Brown definitely seems like someone who, who doesn't do the whole like I mean, like Hunt does of the find a running lane in the middle of the field. Uh, I think I think his history of injuries has definitely had him shy away a little bit from uh, from getting hit too much in the middle of the field by those big linebackers. And I think he kind of tries to get to the edge. Um, where, you know, he, he might have a little bit of a size advantage against those corners um, and maybe a safety here and there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think where this defense can really do well against Notre Dame is, is and I kind of hinted at it earlier, is just, you know, don't don't start by playing on your heels and don't allow, because Golson's a much better passer than Brown, and if you let Golson... You know, find guys open in the flat. You, you find them open downfield. I mean, those first few balls that the Brown got to throw downfield. I mean, Jesus! Like, the guy just went right up and over um, our secondary. And those first few passes he completed in the flat. Um, I mean, our linebackers don't have experience um, playing in coverage, so it, it's it's very it's very much you know, a problem for us if we start dropping them back. And I know chances are we'll, we'll probably do a mix of what we did um, on Saturday last week, which was, uh, you know, rush five and then drop two linebackers into coverage um, and mix that with the Oki package, uh, that three-five set that we've done in the past. Uh, so I guess we'll see. Um, again, I don't think we should defend Golson the same way we defended Brown but I think some of the things we did in the second half we might want to replicate. Yeah, it's it, it's going to be um, 
I just think his accuracy is going to pose a bigger threat. Obviously, I think Brown actually made some really nice throws. Uh, the one, the long touchdown to to Leak was a, a gorgeous throw, and I didn't even think Wig- uh, I didn't think um, Wiggum had a really aw- bad placement there. I think he just, you know, happened to get victimized by a perfect throw over the top. But uh, Dolson's going to be able to make those throws with far more regularity than Brown was, um, which is concerning <laughs> because. Um, Notre Dame will have similar speed on the outside. Maybe not a guy with a name like Diggs or or Lawn. Lawn didn't do much. Um, Diggs was even kept in check, but uh, they just have a bunch of guys who, and they they have had guys who have broken big touchdowns. Uh, William Fuller has a 75-yard touchdown this year. C.J. Uh, Proceeds has a, a 53-yard touchdown. So um, I don't know too much about them individually. Uh, their their top receiver. Uh, at least coming into the year, suspended and apparently won't be reinstated right before this game. It sounds like the Notre Dame issue is going to be resolved next week, from what I've heard uh, online today. But um, still, they—I mean, it's Notre Dame. They recruit so well. You just should assume that they have capable guys. So I'm uh, I'm I'm nervous about the corners, but I'm always nervous about the corners. So we'll see how it goes. There's not much else we can we can do about that. Yeah, I, I mean, that secondary is always going to be an issue, and that's why, like, I almost gloss it over in previews, not because I, I don't think it's an issue I very much do. I think it's just I'm just so tired of talking about how concerned I am about it that, like, you want to, like, talk to other blogs or whatever, I'm like, yeah, the secondary, and just, like, kind of move on. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's bad. Like, the fact, at the same time, though, like, Reddish almost had that one pick that was torn out of his hand, basically. Kroom almost had another. Um, so this team can find itself um, in front of a football um, on defense. It's just a question of, you know, coming down with those. I mean, how is Reddish supposed to know that that just getting in front of that ball and having it in your hands <laughs> didn't mean you were, you know, coming down with a pick? And, you know, how, did, how would Kroom have ever known that he was going to be in line to get an interception? Yeah, I can't hate it. I saw Kroom even get some heat. Like, defensive tackles, I know he's dropping back in coverage, so maybe he should have been more aware. But defensive tackles, I don't think, spend much much time practicing intercepting passes. So, you know, what are you going to do there? Um, and, yeah, like you said, I think the, the, the corners actually played a pretty decent game. Reddish should have had that pick. It, it was torn out of his arms. I can't hate on him too much for what happened there. Um I thought the corners played pretty well. The third receiver is the one who killed us from Maryland. And then, obviously, the screen pass, which is on just the def- the defense wasn't – the whole defense was a mess on that play. Um, I think they said there was communication issues and probably should have had a timeout called when we saw three receivers uh, overloaded on that side and only two defensive backs anywhere near them. Um, so that wasn't on a corner. That was just the, – the whole defense was just not in position there. Um so hopefully that was a sign of things to come. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a well-blocked screen, too, and I think it's the type of thing we just don't do um, is, you know, you had everybody stuffed to one side. I mean, the blocks weren't necessarily the key. It really was the fact that everyone was just completely out of position um, on the Syracuse side. But, um, I mean, it was just a well-drawn-up play. Um, the one thing that confuses me so far this season um, is, is for a guy who was largely considered an NFL prospect, um, Darrell Eskridge is pretty much a ghost. I mean, not that he hasn't had an impact, but you haven't really heard his name called all that much. 
Yeah, I've seen some things that say he he's been playing hurt, in which case I have a, a tough time really getting on him. But he has been quiet. Um, so hopefully he he bounces back. It would be nice to have a you know nice mid season bye week, and we don't have one for a while now. But uh, I have seen that he's banged up. But he's definitely been quiet. So he was definitely he was a guy that we uh, we thought would have a big impact this year, and really has not had an opportunity. You haven't seen him out there. I mean, he's been out there. He just he hasn't made a, a ton of huge plays. Um, and we still don't have an interception as a team yet. And there were two or three times where we could have had one against Maryland. So hopefully that that's a streak we can break this weekend. Although Dolson hasn't uh, Dolson hasn't thrown an interception, so probably not the best opportunity. But you think it's going to happen soon, right? And I mean, at the same time too, if you look at the first two games. I mean, Cooper Rush couldn't even get the ball out. And you know for CMU, and then John Robertson didn't really bother throwing the ball much with Villanova. So our only real opportunity to pick anything was was against Maryland, and I actually think Brown gave us a couple chances to do just that. So I am hopeful. But um, moving on to maybe like a last question, this can be any side of the ball. Um, in terms of you know who who needs to break out, um, there's a lot of people who could. Who needs to break out uh, for Syracuse in order for them to have a chance at an upset here? Um, I think if we can generate some solid pass rush from the defensive line without having to commit to an all-out blitz, that would be uh, really big. Obviously, we're going to send Lynch. We're going to send Davis. uh, It's just part of the scheme. But uh, if we could get a, a push from the front four, uh, which I think has performed fairly well, but you know nothing crazy so far this year, uh, and get some pressure on Dolson that way, where we, we're not committing, you know, five or six dies in a pass rush every play. I think that'd be pretty big, especially against an offensive line that is apparently being reshuffled, as we mentioned before. So um, that'd be, I think, that'd make a, pr- a pretty solid impact. I think. That's fair. I guess for me, you know, like I, I kind of go down the list of like guys I want to have a big game, and, and I guess the problem is I just keep going back to Hunt, you know. I had a good, not great game last week that also had two big mistakes. Um, I mean, if, if we can lose a game like that with, with Gully running for as much as he did, if Amin Moore ran as much as he did, if we have Cam Lynch having another pretty good game and us still losing, I guess to me it just all traces back to how well did Hunt do because Hunt's best game this year, um, the Central Michigan game, how high this team can go um, and how high this offense can go. So, as much as there's a lot of other guys who, who are going to have big impacts on this uh, game, and I don't want to downplay them at all, uh, I do think that if this team does rise and fall on, on how well Hunt does, because this defense is going to get stopped regardless, so it really is a question of you know what Hunt can do uh, with his legs, and, and more, even more importantly with his arms, and and you know how he doesn't have to be a guy who completes 75% of his passes or throws 300 yards. If Hunt can throw for 180 to 190 um, at about a 55 to 60% clip and avoid interceptions, um, I, I think that that's a decent, I think that's a decent gauge because you know what? If he throws balls the way he did against Central Michigan, th- those passes are going to be complete. He's going to be able to get more options downfield. So I'm I'm really focusing in on Hunt and how he can rebound here because. You know, he didn't play in the MetLife game last year, and I know a lot of the guys on the team did, so that should help him out. But the fact that he didn't play on that stage um, is 
it's not a concern necessarily, but it's it's in the back of my mind is like what what is that stage gonna do to him mentally? Yeah, I, I you know, hopefully someone brought up maybe the team we've had two games at the dome and neither has been pretty. Uh someone I saw online somewhere, I don't remember where it was, if it was a message board or Twitter or whatever, posited the the possibility of the team uh, getting nervous at the dome in front of the the home fans and trying, you know, especially after the Nova game went so poorly, maybe it, that nervousness got doubled down uh, in this Maryland game. So, obviously, we're we're playing another quote home unquote game uh, this weekend, but maybe getting away from home will actually, you know, help help the team in some way. I don't know. I'm willing to throw out any any possible uh, rationale to explain why the team will play well. So. Maybe that's it, or or the big stage will be frightening because we know Notre Dame fans are going to travel for this game. Uh, there's plenty of them in the East Coast already, so I expect a pretty full stadium. Um, and uh, outside will be nice, and Hunt will throw the ball well again, like he did in Central Michigan, and and that'll be a, a major imp, uh, improvement. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I don't know entirely what to expect because that's how this Syracuse team has been so far this year. But uh, I'm hoping for the best. And even if it's a loss, I, I just think if, if this team plays a clean game um, and is in it and shows that it can play with a team that's ranked in the top 10 or top 15, I think uh, it'll be a good takeaway, although obviously I'm not signing up for a loss yet. Uh, I do think this is a winnable game. If not, you know, a game we should expect to win, it's something that I think could happen. So sure hope sure hope uh, this is just a really weird team that wins games it, it shouldn't and loses games it shouldn't. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna predict an upset. Um, I'm not gonna say, you know, it's doomsday if we lose. But I do think this is about as critical a game as as we're gonna find for right now um, after the Maryland loss. I think there's a lot of positives that we can, you know, work toward in this game. I think if we come out, play our game, and then if Notre Dame just manages to, to outplay us, despite that, I'll feel much better um, than, you know, us getting completely manhandled or, or us doing something like we did against Maryland. Uh, I have hope, but I always do, and unfortunately, it's rarely rewarded. Tis the life of a Syracuse fan. This is true, no matter the sport. Hopefully we didn't, like, bum everyone out <laughs> tonight. <laughs> yeah, right. But Hopefully next weekend will be really high on uh, on life after a big upset, and we'll have a much rosier podcast. But uh, we'll see. That would be delightful. Let's go with that. Um, but yeah, I guess on that we can uh, kind of close out. Um, thanks again for for joining, Dan, as always, and uh, enjoy watching Notre Dame and Syracuse this weekend. I plan on it. All right, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm John. That was Dan. Uh, Please be sure to rate and review our podcast over on Blog Talk and iTunes. The review stuff is important. more reviews, the better just visibility we get. And uh, don't forget about that uh, free audio book we're getting, you guys, with uh, audibletrial.com slash newsmagician. 
And on that note, uh, go orange. Go orange. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.